Recovery stories are so inspiring. This is part one of Hannah's recovery story. We actually recorded her story and she listened to it and felt like there was a big chunk missing. So you're going to hear the second part of her story that we recorded today. Next week, you're going to hear where she is at now, but this week you're going to hear where she has come from and it is a powerful story. So listen in for some hope and don't forget to come back next week as Hannah talks about all of the amazing progress she has made in the last 11 months. I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. Hello and welcome to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. So today I'm here again with Hannah. Hi, Hannah. Hi. We recorded a podcast episode of Hannah's Story and Hannah, you decided that there were some elements that were missing from the story. So we figured for Tuesday Truth, we would just be honest and genuine and just be real. Like what happened is this is now going to be the part one. And what you'll hear coming up is actually the first podcast we recorded, but the second part of Hannah's story. So Hannah, do you want to tell everybody what you thought was missing? And yeah, we'll go from there. So... I think a lot of vulnerability was missing, kind of, and, like, I didn't give enough of, like, where I started um, in life in general and, like, what all it took to get um, to where I'm at now and what we recorded previously. And I think it's important for me to share, like, where I came from because I had no idea, like, that the life I'm living now is like obtainable to me given my background. Yeah, that's well said. Well said. So you're here with us. We're just, you know, taking life as it comes and figuring things out. And I think it's awesome that you were able to come back and, you know, you wanted to share this. Well, not come back, but come and and record this with me so that you can share some of the beginning of like, you know, what was life like for you growing up? So why don't we start there and yeah, we'll see where the conversation takes us. So what was life for you growing up that led you to the point where in your teenage years, early adulthood, you're like, you, you receive this diagnosis of borderline personality disorder? Yeah. So growing up, I, now that I have my diagnosis, I can like look back and like see where it all showed up in my life. Um, I was an extremely sensitive child and intense to the point where like my family had no idea kind of what to do with me or comfort me. I was explosive. I was honestly a pretty violent child because I had no idea like what to do with the way I was feeling. Um, A lot of it was triggered by the environment I grew up in. It was my mom was an addict um, and my great grandmother was raising me and all of her siblings were also addicts and I was exposed to that a lot. So a lot of chaos was like exposed to using you're saying, sorry. I was never exposed that I'm aware of to using, but I was exposed to 
them being on drugs, the side effects of those drugs, the like huge up and downs along. Um, And like, there was a lot of like physical violence around me as a kid and like definitely exposed to things that like children shouldn't witness. And it was really scary to me, like, my family members would like get in physical altercations and I can remember being very small and like standing in between them. Wow. Trying to like separate them. So I feel in a sense, like I was kind of like, even in my childhood parentalized a little bit to keep or attempt to keep the peace as a small child. Um, how how old are, are you in these memories? This is really sad. Um, some of my first few memories, one that really sticks with me, um, I think I was six. It was like my sixth birthday. I had to separate like a physical or attempt because I was six between my mom and someone else. And after witnessing that so many times, like I felt constantly in like fight or flight all the time, like waiting for something bad to happen. And my other family members that weren't addicts, they really tried to protect me from like that kind of stuff, but it it didn't always happen. Um, But as I got older, like, definitely kept witnessing things like that. And then like my preteen years were, I felt even more parentalized, like trying, being told to like handle a situation. Mm, Yeah. Like completely out of like my control. Like I, I had no idea how to deal with someone overdosing in front of me. Wow. That's hard. Yeah. Or like what I was supposed to do or or why I kind of got put in the position. It was like because no one else felt like dealing with it, Um, which at the time it was like normalized to me because I witnessed it so much. Like I would go to school and I knew other kids weren't experiencing like the same home life as me. Um, I was really hard to relate to as a child to other children. I didn't have like any friends. Mm. Um, and I think that definitely had to do with like how intense I was. My, my mom was in and out of my life a lot. And I, I was so desperate to make friends and like, feel that like someone loves me for me because I couldn't understand being that little, that my mom had a drug problem and she was also borderline. So at school I would like intensely try to make friends with these little kids and they would be like, Whoa. Like, like what'd you do? I I was just like, I would talk a lot. I was like super energetic and I just, too intense and like really pushy and like do you want to play with me do you want to play with me do you want to play with me (laughs) (laughs) yeah on with this girl yeah 
what was mom's borderline like when you say mom was borderline so she had addiction issues and put you in some positions where you're parentified so like you have to take care of people ODing and it's like yeah that's crazy it's normal to you I mean you don't as a child growing up like that you don't really know any other way like there well you don't know any other way right I did know that it wasn't normal and there was a lot of shame with that. Like I was super embarrassed that I didn't have a normal home life, but my mom was misdiagnosed bipolar. Mm. And I, I would just see her like extreme up and downs, like not in like a typical cycle as like uh, what bipolar disorder actually is. And it would be her impulsive using, uh, feeding her impulsive to like leave me at home, which was like really hard for me because like I didn't understand. Yeah. Uh, because she was going to use and she, she never took me with me, like with her when she was going to use, but like I couldn't understand that. Mm-hmm. She would end up in like, very unsafe situations due to like impulsivity and like or like based off like her feelings and like she would just end up in a lot of very very abusive relationships and I, i couldn't understand why and she would always have like these like immense amount of problems she couldn't keep a job because she was just too explosive. Like I would see her get into like physical altercations with other family members. Like, like fist fights, you're saying? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Fist fights and just screaming, like constant mm-hmm. screaming on and off about just anything. I can't think of anything specifically, but right now but it it was a lot i i do love my mother very much and with my diagnosis now i understand her better than anything and it took me a really long time to get there because she hurt me so much as a child coming in and out of my life being in jail or using or running off with some man i guess is what she was also doing um i understand like with the diagnosis of borderline how intense her feelings were and then she also had another she had an addiction and that's like to me a a disease within its own right yeah yeah that's tough yeah so she is past now right yeah That one was a really, really hard one because when I started to understand her, like I was finally, she had gotten sober for the most part. She was out of prison and she was like doing her best to like rebuild a relationship with me because like as a teenager, all the hurt, like I was tired of being hurt by her so much. I just like, would tell her that I hated her because like it was like kind of like my defense thing Mm -hmm. because I couldn't understand. And I just wanted to like shut that vulnerability off of like the push and pull and the 
repetitive, like her leaving me, but she, we started to rebuild. I started to understand her better. And then she had been doing a lot better with her addiction, working, had a good job, was still in a really abusive relationship that caused a lot of friction between us. But I was beginning to like understand her and love her for who she is. And unfortunately, that was like a very short-lived period of time because she ended up passing when I was 18. Mm. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's just, it's really sad. And you said you love your mother, which is phenomenal. So at what point did you forget, did you forgive her? Was it before she passed away or was it after? I was actually mad at her when she died. Um, yeah, she wasn't using like heavily when she died, but she had gotten back into a relationship with someone that was pretty horrible and she wasn't around very often due to being with that person. And I just didn't approve. So I was really mad at her. And then it was, it was after she passed is when And when I got my diagnosis, like I started to separate, like it wasn't the fact that she didn't love me. It was the fact that she was sick and she, she didn't want to be that way. She just didn't know another way. She was misdiagnosed. Right. She was also stubborn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Help for her, like was not a thing, but as I've, after she passed and I do work on myself and I I see so many similarities, which was also another huge thing for me to come to terms with because I didn't want to be anything like my mother, but like seeing some of her behaviors and then what the behaviors I was engaging in, like I felt, I understood myself and I understood her so much more because I couldn't being borderline, having the type of trauma that she had growing up, and then also using to numb all of that. So once I realized it wasn't anything to do with me or something was wrong with me or like I wasn't a good enough child, it it, it helped me heal a lot and like sympathize for my mother because I only had two like associations with my mother either I hated her for not being there it felt like she was like ripping her love away from me so like I don't feel either of those ways now yeah that's beautiful and that was pretty recently where you came around to forgiving her so it's that's a it's beautiful I mean we're gonna go and talk about the consequences of that but the reason why I say it's a beautiful thing is because you're what can you even say to a parent to your parent and this is for anyone out there listening like who they have similar deficits maybe it's not bpd but like everybody has problems you know and at a certain point you really have to you know look at that and go well you love me the best that you could and the best that you could was pretty broken but hey look at me i'm broken too and, you know, I'll, I'll carry the best parts of you and your legacy. 
you know, that's, that's awesome that you're able to do that. And we can forgive because everybody's broken. That was my point. Yeah. Right. But coming from a household like that, that's tough. And that's why you wanted to come back and do this, you know, give people a little bit of a background story because you realize that you had some behaviors when you were like really young that you are even all the way up until like, what, eight months ago, nine months ago? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty recently where, you know, your story becomes more powerful when people understand that it wasn't just like, oh, I, you know, I'm just going to kind of overcome this thing. It was years of pain and, and yeah, trauma, right? Oh, yeah, a lot. And I didn't really process that it was trauma. I just was like, this is my life and this is how it is. Yeah. I know it's not normal, but once I realized how much I was like, I thought that because I wasn't tantruming the same way as a child that like I was, you know, better. I mean, I was a lot better, but like, I didn't register that I was still engaging in like actual tantrums of children. Like I, although I wasn't like laying on the floor, kicking and screaming, I was cutting myself, um, smashing my head into walls, um, screaming, crying, begging, like, like a child. Yeah. Yeah. When did you, what's your first memory of like self-harm? Um, when I was nine, I don't, there was no thought going into like the fact that I was self-harming. I was just very, very upset. I knew, I knew my mom was leaving. Yeah. She it came home from a short period of time and I knew she was leaving again and sh she would lie to me a lot. And I was like, mom, can I go with you? And she was like, yes, baby, go pack your bag. And I went to go pack my bag and I came back out and she was gone. And it was like my tiny little nine-year-old world fell over because I, I never knew when she would come back. And I just yeah. so angry that like I put my fist through a grandfather clock and I ended up losing like a quarter of the amount of blood in my body. It was super traumatic, really scary. And my mom didn't come to the hospital <laughs> during me getting stitches. And I thought, okay, well now that I'm hurt, my mom has to come back. Like I'm hurt. She, she's not going to just let me, you know, be in the hospital hurt and not, like come take care of me so like the whole time they were like stitching me up and like kind of getting my tendons in my hand put back where they should be and I was like mom's gonna show up mom's gonna show up so that's the first time I realized that that was participating in kind of like a self-harm yeah. here yeah did she come no no okay yeah, that's really tough. Okay. So after that, and you still have the scar on your hand you were showing me before the yeah. episode. Yeah. So that you'll always remember that. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty gnarly. Yeah. It's tough, you know, to, to have that 
as a memory and then to say that you love her and you want to preserve the best parts of her, you know, again, it's just, it's huge. So in terms of the self-harm and some of the other stuff that you've done, do you self-harm now? Um, the last time that I self-harmed was probably 11 months ago. 11 months ago. Yeah. And that was the catalyst to a relationship ending, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So tell, maybe you can tell everyone what your self-harm and kind of destructive or dangerous behaviors were like as you progress throughout life and how old you are. How old are you now? Do you mind? I'm 27. 27. Okay. So we're talking for, you know, 26 years you were engaging in self-harm, yeah? So after I was nine, um, that's the last, like, younger childhood. But as I, you know, became a teenager and started liking boys, like, Mm -hmm. I just remember, like, getting my heart broken and cutting my wrist because like I felt so much intense pain. It was like, I wasn't making the association that it had to do with something about being like continuously abandoned on and off. But I, now I know that that's what was going on Yeah. in the background. Um, I was 13, probably 11 to 14 when I would cut, And now I know some of it was like attention seeking. Definitely. If I'm being completely honest, I appreciate that. I, I know now like my, like when I wanted to self harm, like my, like, and actually hurt myself because I was feeling so much pain. I didn't know how to get it out of my body was to like hit my head into things like So I cut on and off from like 11 to 14. And then from like 15 to 26, it would be like me hitting my head into stuff like a rock, a wall, my steering wheel. I would punch my steering wheel and like a hard surface, but, um, it would, yeah, that was like the not self-seeking attention cutting. That was like, I was actually experiencing like so much internal pain. I needed to get it out. So I would hit my things. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So during like in a romantic relationship, when you got frustrated, you would do that? Yeah. Or like perceive that I was being abandoned in like the slightest way. I would self-harm. I would, I would tantrum. I would beg, please don't leave me. Like, you don't understand. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it shows up. It showed up mainly in like my romantic relationships. And I think it's because I felt so unlovable or I had this perception as a child, because I know it's not true now that like, I was unlovable. So I was very honestly desperate to like seek attention from like a partner that loves me and like accepts me 
and like, but I was also still engaging in tantrums and borderline behavior. And like, that doesn't make sense to normal people. Like that is absolutely chaotic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what a, wow. It's so powerful because it's just so heavy, right? Like that's just a lot to go through. Right. So do you have urges to self-harm now? No. Okay. I haven't had an urge to self-harm since the last time I self-harmed. And I haven't had any suicidal ideations since the moment I knew I had borderline because I knew it was me that didn't want to actually die. Like, yeah, what do you mean? Yeah, what do you mean by that? Like, what do I mean? Okay, sorry. Um, okay, I said it really fast. <laughs> like, what? Um, it. I lived 26 years of my life thinking that I was a monster. And I would call myself a monster because I love people. And I love them intensely. And I care. But I act in tantrum and just do horrible things and I would always be so depressed and hate myself and want to die because everything was so painful and once I got the diagnosis and that gave me the ability to separate my myself from the monster and the monster was borderline it was not me so I'm like okay that's not a part of who I am. It's something I suffer from and it's something I can overcome and get better. So once I knew like I didn't have to live like that, I haven't had any suicidal ideation since because I know it's not Hannah. Yeah. It's borderline. And a beautiful thing that I keep experiencing more and more working with you is like I can separate like what's a borderline thought or an impulse and stop it before it happens because I know it's borderline and it's not what Hannah is and what she wants to do. So I just, I'm like, sep- like identity integration and like separating the monster from who I am. Like I, I want to live my life because I now have the tools and yeah. I get the life that I want now. Yeah, it's amazing. And you've always been looking for those tools. It's just that no one was able to teach them to you. So as soon as you found them for you, it's like a key and you can unlock your whole life now. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. I appreciate your coming back to be vulnerable and be on the podcast because I know that when I met you, that was really, it was hard to hear that you were banging your head and you know, you're 26 years old, right? And like, that's just so much pain that you would have to carry to go to headbanging and rocking and, you know, hurting yourself and for, because you thought that that's what love was, right? That's like something that you thought. And so to be able to share that with people, like you're, there are other people out there, many, 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 many other people out there who headbang in episodes and who rock and hurt themselves and, you know, and have had traumatic backgrounds and people in and out of their lives. So for them to hear you come here and 
you know, you're going to have to listen to the second half of Hannah's story, which is super beautiful. So definitely. But for you to come back and be vulnerable and, you know, to tell people that it's just huge. It's, it's amazing. Like you're definitely a miracle. Thank you. You're welcome. Are you tired of feeling frustrated, resentful, or disconnected from your family, friends, and partner? Thrive Mind Body LLC Mindset Coaching and Counseling can help you. Visit us on the web at thriveonlinecounseling.com. Again, that's thriveonlinecounseling.com.